Hello, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk About Shh. This podcast is aimed to help you navigate your relationships, maximize your pleasure, and get the most out of your sex life. Each week, we cover different topics related to the full spectrum of sexuality and romance. My name is Tila. I'm a sex educator, relationship expert, and published author. People often ask me why I chose to get into sex ed, and it's because I love talking about sexuality. I love helping people connect with and understand their own sexuality and foster healthier relationships. So if you're struggling and you have a question you'd like answered, please send in your questions to questions at exploresextalk.com. In this episode, I want to talk about the importance of mental health and how it is affected as well as affects our relationships. There's a lot of stigma around mental health. Like so many other aspects of life that are little understood or talked about, there are some really common misconception and prejudice. People do not like to admit that they need help. And often it's because they're afraid of not looking strong or being seen as less in the eyes of others or sometimes just even admitting that there is a problem. So it's common for people to ignore it. You know, it's something that can easily be hidden, as well as something that can be challenging or difficult to address when people do acknowledge there's a problem. So it becomes easier to just ignore or look the other way when it comes to mental health. Attitudes like that have contributed to the stigmatization of mental health because it leaves people with the image of only extreme cases. Cases when the problems have mounted up so much to the point where a person isn't even able to function anymore, where they just can't hide it anymore, and where they've hit the point where it can no longer be ignored and therefore is finally in is finally seen and acknowledged as an actual issue. No one should ever have to experience that point. Let me say that again. No one should ever have to experience that point. Like so many other areas of our health, early intervention can completely alter the outcome for someone. Think about other types of health, such as physical health. We do not leave an infection or a disease until the last possible stage to treat it. If we did, people would die in record numbers or suffer such damage that they would never be the same. Imagine a doctor telling somebody that, you know, the cancer that they have that is really small and hasn't hit stage four yet, so, you know, they don't really need to worry about it. And it's only really worth worrying about when the symptoms are really debilitating sound ridiculous? It's because it is. Uh, if a person has a disease, we, we should treat it at the earliest identifiable stage for the best possible outcome. Our mental health should really shouldn't be any different. Mental health and wellness is incredibly important, but sadly not something a lot of people take seriously. Now, you may be wondering, this is a sex ed, podcast? What does this have to do with relationships? You know, what makes mental health an important topic in sex ed? Our mental health and well-being is 
key in how we handle stress, how we respond to conflict and disappointments, how resilient we are, how we process trauma, how we process information and experiences. All of these things are just the tip of the iceberg. This is why it's such a huge part of our lives and has massive impacts on how we interact with people. And of course, how we interact with people is the basis of how we form and maintain our relationships. It can actually play also a huge role in the overall health of our relationships as well. If someone is struggling with their mental health, they may face more challenges in good communication with their partner. They may be more likely to be fearful, suspicious, anxious, depressed, or maybe even angry when things happen in their relationship. Now, I'm not trying to say that people who are struggling with their mental health shouldn't be in the relationship or anything of that sort. It's just a reality that people who are struggling are going to react differently than someone who's not facing that same struggle. Just like someone who's experienced past trauma is going to react differently, you know, because of that trauma that they experienced. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Experiences can make us wiser and help us avoid trouble just as much as they can cause trouble for us. That's why context and awareness are really critical. We need to be aware and honest with ourselves about what struggles we may be experiencing and be willing to seek support when we need it. If we aren't willing to take that step, we may end up treating people in our lives unfairly or in a way that isn't warranted or deserved. If we're struggling, we should really consider questions like, you know, is, a, is this a good relationship for me to be in right now? Does my partner understand what I'm experiencing? Can I explain it in a way so that they do understand? Do I feel supported by this person? What do I need to feel supported by this person? Where else am I receiving support? What boundaries need to be maintained and respected for this relationship? What do I need to be happy? Of course, this is only one half of the equation. As so often said, it takes two to tango. The burden of healthy communication and relationships does not and shouldn't land only on one person. If our partner is struggling, we should consider things like, you know, am I in a position to support and help them? Is it in my power and ability to support and help them in a way they need? We may be willing, but we may not be able. So that's, those are two different questions. Am I able to maintain healthy boundaries for my partner as well as for myself? What are my expectations for this relationship? Are they reasonable? Are they respectful of the needs and boundaries of my partner? So often people do not stop to consider these questions. A lot of us just tend to go with the flow, and this can lead to some pretty unhealthy patterns that develop over time. People don't even realize it's happening until it's too late. I know we've, we've talked about this in past episodes, so I'm not going to rehash it all here, 
But if you're interested in learning a little bit more about the development of unhealthy patterns, uh, I've covered that in more depth in the episode entitled, uh, Is Your Partner is your partner a keeper? So feel free to go back and check that out. Anyway, getting back on topic. Um, it's also important to note that a lot of this information applies to more than just our romantic relationships. It really does apply to any of our relationships, whether they're romantic, platonic, or familial. Because all of our, relation- all of our relationships impact our health and well-being regardless of what kind they are. They, they have an impact. They can help or they can hinder us. Having people in our lives that understand what challenges we are facing can give us courage. When we feel understood and heard, we tend to feel more optimistic and ready to face the next challenge. If people in our lives don't have that understanding, it usually makes us feel isolated and alone. If we're already struggling, feeling this way can make everything feel more intense, impossible, awful, and just make it harder, just make it that much harder to conquer what we're actually facing. No one gets by in this world alone. And I mean, no one should have to. Humans are very social beings. We thrive in social groups, not in isolation. So now that we know what makes mental health important to our relationships, what can we do about it? The first thing is to understand that mental health is something we all have in varying degrees. These varying degrees are going to change over the course of our lives and experiences and that's okay. It's a natural part of life. It's nothing to be ashamed of or afraid of. Everybody needs help sometimes, and it's not the mark of perfection to be able to stand perfectly alone. Society has evolved this idea that, you know, or this ideal of this tower of strength, being able to weather any storm completely isolated and alone. We are taught to look up to this type of person, to strive to be that way. You know, it's a wonderful thing to be able to survive adversity and have resilience. And resilience is something we should all try to foster for ourselves. But it's important to understand that not all resilience is internal. It doesn't always come from inside of us. We rely more on those in our lives and that's okay. Evolution has made us that way. The person that can, un- can withstand unthinkable conditions with a smile definitely has internal resiliency. But the point is, is not that people like that are terrible people. The point is that no one should have to suffer those conditions. Suffering is not a superpower. Once again, let me say that again. Suffering is not a superpower. It's great that people can withstand terrible adversities, but ideally people should not have to face them unless they are actively, consensually, and with other options choosing to place themselves against those odds. The mark of strength is not how much suffering you can endure, 
but how you overcome obstacles and challenges. A positive step towards mental health is to rid yourself of that idea that suffering is a superpower. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to reach out for help. It does not make you less. If anything, it makes you more because it takes incredible strength for people to admit when they need help. A big piece of that is being able to understand yourself well enough to know when you need help. When do you need support? What triggers a bad day for you? What things help you through that bad day? On that note, a key thing is that people don't really talk about the difference between self-soothing and self-compassion. When we're struggling, no matter what we're facing, we have a lot of different strategies to help us cope. People call them coping mechanisms, probably a term you've heard. And some of these mechanisms or strategies are, you know, they may be considered healthy. Some probably would not make it onto that healthy list by a long mile, and therefore people instantly consider them bad. The distinction people fail, fail to make here is that there are different types of strategies for different times. And that's where sort of self-soothing versus self-compassion comes in. I want to define these a little bit more because I find people don't really understand when I first mentioned this. So self-soothing strategies uh, tend to be those quick fixes to get you past an immediate moment. You know, they're short-term solutions, often not something meant to be repeated on a daily basis. Think of it kind of like a mental health first aid kit. So if we look at first aid, you know, when somebody experiences an accident uh, or, you know, somebody is hurt, what do we do? We pull out a first aid kit. We do our best to minimize and prevent further damage. And then we wait for the paramedics to arrive to take over. So self-soothing strategies are like that. They are things people do to get them through that tough moment or time until the problem can actually be addressed properly. They do not always have to be the best solution. It can be something that, you know, if that was a regular thing, could be unhealthy. Now, self-soothing strategies this is not a free ticket to make deliberately terrible choices in the name of getting through the moment without any concern of, of consequence. Uh, they should be chosen with appropriate care and thought to, you know, what the context of the situation calls for. Whatever choices we make, we still need to be held accountable for those choices because they are going to have an impact on things that happen later. Now, self-compassion is a bit different. They are more long-term strategies that are meant to benefit our long-term health and happiness. They usually tend to be what people describe as, you know, the smart choice or the smart thing. Uh, common examples could think, include things like proper diet, regular exercise, good sleep habits, now, these are just a few examples, 
but there are examples that people are probably familiar with, so you kind of get the idea. Ideally, our self-compassion strategies are ones that we should be choosing more frequently than our self-soothing. Although, depending on the individual, some of those strategies may be the same. Their self-soothing and their self-compassion. It depends on the person. It depends on what a person finds comforting and motivating and supporting. Now, it's a good idea to develop a strategy for supporting your long-term mental health. And you do that by drawing up a list of what your self-soothing and self-compassion strategies are and in what kind of situations you are going to use them. Is there a threshold for certain types of self-soothing? If it's maybe something that would be considered not quite as healthy that you don't want to repeat often, what is the threshold? How bad does something need to be before you resort to that strategy? How often are you going to do your self-compassion strategies? What are you going to use to try and motivate you to do your self-compassion strategies? Because a lot of people struggle with that. So having that kind of plan is going to, is going to help. Now, it's going to help because it's going to help you feel better prepared for when something comes up. But it can actually also help because it makes it easier to communicate to people in your life ways that they can support you through a rough patch or through a rough time. Often a lot of people struggle because a partner will be like, well, what can I do to help? And in that moment of panic and in that moment of upset, it can be really hard to think about what things can and do help. So thinking about it when you're calm and when you're calmer often makes it a lot easier and you're going to default to that in those moments of panic. Thanks so much to everybody who tuned in for this episode today. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. Don't forget to send any questions you have into questions at exploresextalk.com. I love to hear your questions, thoughts, and comments. Um, I don't always publish all the questions I receive based on requests that people have as well as the context, of course. Uh, so don't be shy if you want to leave a comment or email in your thoughts or your questions. Um, you can ask for it to remain private. That's perfectly fine. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, hit that subscribe button, like it, share it, recommend it to a friend. A huge part of, um, you know, we're still working on growing this podcast and a huge part of it is, is you is you listening and recommending it to somebody else. Uh, so I appreciate if you take the time to do that. I look forward to seeing you again next week for another fantastic episode. And of course, in the meantime, please stay safe and stay sexy.